Welcome to the Loft Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message and that it ignites in you a hunger for more of God's presence in your life. Tonight I have a couple things I want to share with you. Man, it feels like I haven't gotten to preach forever. Um, but I, I have some things I want to challenge you with tonight. And I'm going to, I'm going to preach prophetically tonight. And I'm going to preach apostolically which basically means I want to share with you from the heart of a father tonight. And um, I think our response tonight, I'm just going to be honest with you, I really feel like the Lord wants us to do some repentance tonight at the, at the end of this. And sorry that my wife is so loud back there. Um, when her and Michaela are on the phone, we have to leave the room because it's so loud. They both talk very loud. Um, so tonight, I really feel like the Lord wants us to, there's going to be just some repentance. And repentance is a good thing. I'll never forget a sermon Tim did years ago, and he was, it was on repentance. And he talked about repentance comes from the word penthouse. When you think of that, you go to the top of a penthouse, and it's really, how do I get God's perspective? How do I, that's, we think repentance sometimes is a really bad thing. It's really a good thing. It's like, what am I, it's to agree with God. It's to see things from his perspective. And everything that God does is for our benefit and our good, right? So would you guys pray with me? Because I'm going to, I might, I, I might hit some things tonight that might spark some things in you. And I kind of hope they do, all right? So Father, we thank you for your word that it does not return void. Lord, I thank you in Jesus' name that your promises are true. And I also want to decree and declare that we not lose hope in the prophetic words that have been spoken over Oregon, over Portland, and over this church. Even if we don't see them in our natural eyes, it does not mean that they're not still going to take place. So we stand in faith tonight. Give us ears to hear, as Scripture says, especially in the book of Revelation that dealt with what was to come. Give us ears to hear what is our part to play to help release what is to come quicker. We ask this in your precious name. Amen. First, just a couple other housekeeping things to share. I'm so proud of the young adults. They did an amazing job um, last Saturday night. If you were here, I'm telling you, the women killed it. They really brought down the house. They did a great job. All of you guys shared. Thank you so much, Kylie. It was great hearing your heart. And I mean, I, I love um, our, our young adults. And they, just so you guys know, the last Saturday of every month they share. And we're, what we're doing is the Lord just really told us as a leadership team to begin to think succession. So they do everything. You know, they have to handle all the issues, all the problems, you know, all the good stuff. They, they're in charge of all of that Saturday night. Um, they're just, we're partnering with them and they're partnering with us. So um, I'm excited about what God is downloading on them. And then the only other thing I want to share with you is um, Steve and Susie are on a plane from Florida. Mama Susie and Papa Steve will be here um, if they haven't landed yet. Um, I've missed them. I don't know about you guys, but it's just not the same. And I'm anxious to hug their necks. And if you'll be here next Saturday, you'll get to see them. Uh, unless you're in their life group, then maybe you'll get to see them before that. So how many of you have seen the movie Jesus Revolution? Let me see your hands. Oh, good. Because I might give a couple spoil alerts. I don't mean to, but I'm sorry if you haven't seen it. Um, I won't give a whole lot. I'm not going to tell you everything. Um, but um, it was a very powerful movie, and I, I cried through most of the movie. Um, I'm going to go see it again because I was such a wreck that I, I, I need to go back with a clearer mind. Um, and part of it was that, I don't know if you guys, when you saw it, I was such, I was so hungry to see that again, you know, and, and, and then the Lord just all through the movie, he says, well, we are going to see it again, but it's going to be bigger than that. And, um, let me just give you a little bit of perspective. We were back praying tonight and, and we think sometimes things that are happening are, if we look at them through the eyes of the flesh, and I'm gonna give you some scripture in just a second to back this. If we look at things through the eyes of the flesh, or through fear, or through the news media, we tend to get a, a negative picture of maybe what God is up to, right? So we have to listen to the Holy Spirit. We have to learn to listen to God's voice and to respond to what he's saying. Jesus did everything only by going and listening to the Father. Everything he did was in response to what the Father said, right? So I don't know if many of you saw this, but um, I, I just got a text from my family, and they said that the Walmarts in Portland are shutting down. 
because of the theft that's in Portland. And Nike is shutting down because of the theft that's in Portland. So if you're, if you're looking at maybe a negative viewpoint, you're thinking, wow, Portland is really going to hell in a handbasket. And people say that. But if you step back to like three, four, five, six, and even back to um, years ago when John G. Lake was here, there's been prophetic words over Portland and Oregon. And sometimes we give up hope because we think that the darkness is greater than the light. What if prophetically Walmarts are emptying so God has places for people to gather when Holy Spirit falls out on the city of Portland, right? What if we think that way? What if we think, like, if you watched Jesus' revelation, they had to get a tent and they had to go to the beaches because so many young people were hungry for God. There was no room. And what was so crazy about the Jesus revolution, it was nothing that man did. It was a sovereign move of God. I heard someone say one time that revival is when God is sick and tired of being misrepresented, so he just shows up. So tonight, as I was praying, Holy Spirit all week long said, you know what I'm doing? He said, this is a season of transition, transformation, and trust. And then tonight in worship, I said, the Lord was downloading. And he said, what he's doing in the church is he's moving us from a transition of desperation to a transition of hunger. And I mean, I used to sing the songs, we're desperate for you, oh God. But I gotta, I gotta change your thinking a little bit tonight because if you're in, if you're, whatever you're going through, and, and sometimes when we're in a tough place, the church is like in this place of desperation. And I'm not saying there aren't seasons where we need to be in desperation, but I think the season, if we, if we stay in a place of, oh God, this desperation place, it tends to rob our hope. And in fact, I looked up a definition for desperation. And it says, a loss of hope and surrender to misery indeed. And dread, excuse me. I'm going to read it again. A loss of hope and surrender to misery and dread. I'm going to be honest with you. A lot of Christians have done that. Oh, what's going to happen next? Let's build a bomb shelter. That's not the kingdom thinking. All right? So the first verse I want to give you is found in Matthew 5, 6. Because I believe that transformation begins with hunger, not desperation. So what's my definition of hunger? It's an eager desire to just know him. It's an eager desire that in the midst of everything that's going on, I want him. Not a good church service, not a good word, not a good worship service, not another Bible teaching. All those things are good. But I want to move from desperation to hunger, which means I want to feast on his presence. I want to feast in his, his love for me. I want to know him. And if you look at the Jesus revolution, that's really what it was about. A bunch of barefooted hippies who showed up in a church and all they wanted was Jesus and the word of God. And the church at the time didn't know how to handle that. I love that scene. Here's a spoiler alert. Where Chuck Smith says, the door swings both ways. You're welcome. And the church was divided. All the churchy people were on one side. And all the hippies were sitting on one side and sitting on the floor. And my, and, and my favorite, one of my favorite scenes in the movie is John Wimber says, the door swings both ways. He said, you're always welcome here. You guys can come anytime. And if you don't want to stay here, you're welcome to leave. And some people got up. And they walked out. And this precious little old couple got up. And I'm like, oh my gosh, they're going to walk. And it was such a great scene. They go and they sit over with the hippie kids and they put their arms around them and they fathered and mothered them. Right? And I watched that movie and it says, God again, God again. And the Lord said, He wants to do it, but we have to move from a place of just desperation. And sometimes desperation is I want God to fix something instead of change me. I want God sometimes to fix something instead of change me. Because when He changes me, it requires work. On my part, it requires partnership. Cindy's word was dead on to what I'm preaching tonight. So Matthew 5, 6 says this, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. I want to hunger and thirst 
for him, the righteous one. I want to be filled with him, not rescued out of another situation. Because what if the situation you're in right now, he doesn't want to rescue you because the situation you're in is what is going to reveal him to you. And if we go down that hopeless place and that desperation place of dread, we're going to miss the very, the very, um, what's the word I'm looking for? I guess just, this doesn't make, maybe it's not a perfect sentence, but just him showing up. We're going to miss that. So I want to, I want to be hungry for God. And I'm telling you what, I just, I'm going to be transparent. I am not hungry for church. I'm not, it doesn't mean I'm not hungry to be around God's people. And I'm just not hungry for ministry. It's like, I'm not hungry for just another good word. We, for years, it's just been about coming to get another good word. I'm really hungry for him. And I told the intercessors last, last Thursday night, what, what, What's going on in my heart right now is uh, I'm asking God for a personal revival. I don't want another Pensacola where we got to fly somewhere and get all like filled up. It was great. A lot of pastors were rejuvenated and fire spread to their churches and all that. I don't want another Toronto. I don't want another Smithton revival where we got to fly somewhere to go find Jesus. What if, what's, what if what he wants to do is kind of what's brewing across the nation right now, just show up in the colleges and the universities and then show up at the Walmarts? See, we gotta raise our hope level from desperation to hunger. I'm just hungry for Jesus to show up and with an expectation that he will. Because I think sometimes we think he doesn't care about the lost. He doesn't care about the people who don't know about him. But in this season of transition, what he's trying to do is he wants to change us. And in this season of transition, we have to trust him and trust that he knows what he's doing. So let me just share a couple things with you, and then we're going to go into some more scripture. So the first thing is hunger. So say that with me. I want to be hungry. So one of the things in the Jesus revolution that why I think that waned, why, why we didn't see it continue to spread is because if you know the story, if you study about Lonnie Frisbee, and they, did a, they, they didn't say a lot in the movie, but he ended up, uh, uh, in the movie, he ended up falling into a homosexual lifestyle and left his wife and he died of AIDS. And in the movie, they, they don't share a whole lot, but his wife, Connie, came to Chuck Smith and just says, we got to take a break. But the church was growing and things were happening. It was an exciting time. And the answer kind of was, no, we kind of need to leave them, keep the ministry going. And Lonnie Frisbee, who was kind of like the firecracker to the whole movement, was hurting and filled with pain. And what he was doing when he came to Chuck Smith, and I don't think they fully got it. You know, Vineyard came out of this, Calvary Chapel, great movements and great things happened. But I don't think they understood that at the moment what Lonnie Frisbee needed was fathering. The Lord will not allow a movement like that to happen again until the fathers and mothers understand their role. Part of that role means we become the banks of a river. Tim shared this at, at Thursday at Intercessors. A river is wild. Those hippies were wild, man. They were barefoot. They, you know, love and peace, drugs. And one of the things I want, to, I want you to see, because God is speaking to us right now, if we will open our eyes and look. The times that they were in are similar to right now. Division in the land, drugs. Those of us like Steve and Peggy back there nodding their heads lived through some of that. I won't give ages, huh? And we remember how hard it was, but it's similar to even now. So it's like, it's kind of like a, a really dry pile of wood that God wants to put a spark to. And we can complain about how dry the wood is, but maybe miss the fact that God is preparing it for a fire. 
right? A big one. So God is raising up fathers and mothers because he wants sons and daughters. When I was um, 10 years old, it was 1972, so you can guess my age, 10 and 11, it was during the Jesus movement. We had a house on Hague Drive in Gresham. It had six bedrooms. Back then, I think the house cost my parents $19,000, believe it or not. It was like way cheap. We moved into the house. We had this big house. It was my brothers, two brothers and I, and the Jesus movement hits, and it was like spreading all over. And it was weird because it wasn't like anything a church organized. It just was like raw and organic. So one day, I'll never forget this, I was at home, and my mom, somebody knocks at the door, she goes to the door, and this girl is standing there in hot pants, they were like really bright red hot pants, and a floppy red hat, and a halter top, and her name was Debbie, and her mother was my babysitter when my brother and I were little, and one of my mom's good friends. Debbie shows up, and she says, something brought me here because I know you know God. She goes, I've been in prostitution, I've been doing LSD, and I'm pregnant, and I'm on my way to get an abortion because I know the baby is messed up. But I couldn't go until I came here, and I don't know really why I'm here. My mom invites her in. She says, Debbie, if you receive Jesus and ask him to come into your heart, not only will he save you, but he'll heal your baby. Debbie starts crying. My mom, I'll never forget, as a 10-year-old boy, gets on her knees, puts her hands on Debbie's stomach, prays. Debbie receives the Lord. Baby, fast forward, baby Jessica is born with no problems, nothing. She's probably about 40-something now. And Debbie receives the Lord, and Debbie goes, I don't know where to live. My mom goes, you can move in here. We have an extra room. Two weeks later, she has a friend, Patty, who's a thief. She goes, Patty doesn't have any place to go, and she wants to hear about Jesus. Patty moves in. We come home from church one night. There's a pile of clothes in the living room. Patty's sitting there crying. Ah. My mom goes, what's wrong? She goes, I stole all these clothes for the last few years, and God's telling me I have to return them. So she would sneak out at night and leave the clothes on people's porches. She said, I have a boyfriend, Kurt. He doesn't have any place to live, and he's a drug dealer. We ended up in two years having 21 young people live with us. It was a commune. It was crazy. I saw things and experienced things, and it marked me. That's why I'm in ministry today, because I saw a sovereign move of God move on people's hearts. And I'm telling you, when she went to church in her, in her outfit, in the first, that first Sunday, the church people rolled their eyes, but they had to learn to allow the process of God working in someone's heart. People left the church, but thank God the pastor, he was friends with my parents, and he said the same thing Chuck Smith said. One really funny story just about that time, my, my stepdad was discipling this guy, and kind of a big guy. He was an ex-biker guy, got off drugs, was in a biking gang, whatever, one Sunday morning, there's all these people sitting on the front row, all these guys. One guy's in a sling, one guy's got a black eye, and they look like they had just been in brawl fights. Like, man, did he like go clear out a bar? So my stepdad goes up to him after church and, and says, Ron, he says, you invite all these, but what happened? Did you like go into a bar? He goes, nope. He goes, I tell people if they don't come to church, I'm gonna beat them up. So he had beaten all those guys up to get them into church. And my dad's like, Ron, you can't do that. That's not what Christians do. And he had to like retrain him. But that's how simple and the process was back then, right? So God wants us to be hungry and he's preparing us to be fathers and mothers because we can't control what God's gonna do. We can't shift or change. Now it's getting hot. Are you guys hot? Okay, good. Now, all, yeah, Judy's like warming up finally. So I'm gonna switch my sermon to the reality of hell. Yeah. Right? Okay, so number one, he's creating a hunger. And number two, he, he is raising up fathers and mothers to, to be people of maturity and be people who have influence. Romans 14, 11 through 13, and this is the Amplified, says this. And, and, the, and the reason God is doing this is he cannot allow his sons and daughters who come into the church to be controlled to be so hurt because when, when, when new believers look at us, we're, we're the first Jesus they're going to see. So there's kind of an order that's going on. 
And before I read Romans, here, here's, here's how I used to live, okay? Uh, it used to be my priority was God, my family, the church, other people, and everything else. And then me. I was at the bottom. And Scripture says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and love your neighbors yourself. So if I'm on the bottom of the list and God is way up here, I'm not getting a correct view of my relationship with him. And there's a lot of weight and responsibility on me. And a lot of you have that order or you have a kind of a messed up order. And we think someone, when I shared this at the marriage retreat, someone said, so let me give you the new order. So the new order is God, me, my family, the church, others, and everything else. So someone lift their hands and how do you, how, if, if you're right, like right here with God, how do you not become narcissistic? And I said, number one is accountability. And number two is submission. But do you know, if, you to, if you're in this place, everything, you're in this kind of a dialogue with God, everything is God filtering it through you on how to love people. And so guess what? If you're in this place, you're giving people the best version of yourself. Best version of yourself. And do you know what, what a narcissist is? And I'm going to be honest with you. The church is filled with them. And, and I'm, going to, I'm going to read this to you. And if any of this sparks something in your heart, because there's different levels of narcissism, tonight's the night to repent. My youth pastor used to say the Holy Spirit will move through you or he will move around you. God forbid if he moves around you. I don't want to get in the way of God. So narcissism, there's a lot of definitions, but narcissism is someone who exhibits little or no empathy towards other people. Oh, phew, that's not me. Because I, I think about people. That basically, to take it even to a deeper level, it's when I think of myself first. It's the wrong kind of self-love. Let me give you an example. And this is going to, and I, this is not, please hear my heart. This is not judgment. I don't mean this as judgment. Because everything I'm sharing with you, God is revealing these things to my heart. But when self is first, that means we make decisions sometimes without asking God. I don't want to go to church tonight. I don't feel like it. What if going to church isn't about you? What if it's you have an assignment to pray for Tiffany, whose sister just died, and you're not there? That happened three weeks ago. Three people had her out in the hallway praying with her and loving her. I met with her and her sister and her mom on Friday, and she, all she talked about to her unsafe sister was the community of people who surrounded her. And I could see in her sister amazement. See, we don't check in with God. We make a decision based on how we feel, how we think. And that could be a subtle form. If we do that all the time, it could be a subtle form of narcissism where it's always about me, how I feel, what I think, my opinion, my thoughts, my stomach, my mind. That can't happen when this next wave begins to stir, which is already stirring. That's why God is putting so much pressure on the church and why it might feel like you're in a lot of pressure right now. Because when we've got people flooding in, you might have to be inconvenienced. You might have to open up a spare bedroom. I'm telling you. What's coming is big. And don't, well, we've been saying this for years. Yes, we have been saying this for years. The reason it hasn't manifested is because the church hasn't been ready for it. Because listen to me, there can be no awakening until the church has a personal revival. Revival is not for the city. Revive means to bring to life again. If you're dead and there's no life in you, it's probably because maybe you're in the way. And we haven't gotten to my last point. This is where it might step on some toes because this is the season I'm in right now. Awakening is when people who are dead come to life. Awakened people need to come into a church that's revived, not dead. Now, in the Jesus Revolution, 
awakened people were coming into a dead church and they helped awaken the church. The problem was then the church, in my opinion, started to focus on the numbers of people and how big the ministry got. And if you look into the 80s and 90s, it was church growth. Mega churches sprung up all over. And then all of a sudden, it wasn't church health anymore. God is saying, I don't care about church growth. I care about church health. Because God can grow a church like this. It's all about church health. It's about God revive my heart. And I'm going to talk to you about what revival looks like. All right? So the Amplified says this, Romans 14, verses 11 through 13. This is why God is working in his church and working in us. For it is written in Scripture, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, every tongue shall give praise to God. So then, each of us will give an account of himself to God. Then let us not criticize one another anymore. But rather determine this, not to put an obstacle or a stumbling block or a source of temptation in another believer's way. Could God be cleaning us out, preparing us, dealing with what's in our heart so we don't get in the way of what he's doing? I don't know about you, but in the movie, when the two people got up, three people, and they walked out of the church, I was so grieved because I said, you're, you're missing what God is doing. Sometimes in our religiousism and in our narcissism, we think we're right and other people are wrong. Many people have left a church because of that and broken relationships. I don't know about you, but I don't want to cause anybody to stumble. In fact, the Bible says it's better that you put a millstone around your neck and, and, and throw yourself into a sea than to cause one of my little ones to stumble. It's big with God. Why would we as a parent leave one of our children with a really strange babysitter that would jeopardize their life? Why would we... Want to see people delivered from bondage and then put them in the bondage of religion. So could God be shaking us up? And in the, in, in the movie, the whole thing, I kept hearing Holy Spirit say, if the church rejects people, where will they go? So revival begins with me personally. And I had to ask myself these questions. What stands in the way? Whatever stands in the way is the way. So if God is dealing with me and he wants me to come to a place of hunger, one of the things that will block hunger is sin. This is where it's going to get uncomfortable in the room. But when you go to the doctor, sometimes they press on places that hurt. Not because they're mean. Because they want to find out where the pain is. So they know how to apply the healing. So I'm asking Holy Spirit as we talk. To help us see some things that maybe we don't see. Not just tonight, but maybe throughout the week. So that we can go to that penthouse and see things as God sees things. Because sometimes we think God sees things like we see things. Well, I'm right and they're wrong. And God says, I want to change your heart. Repentance is always the key to revival. Do you guys know that we can't have a revival unless there's repentance? It's not about like awesome singing, great programs, amazing worship teams. True revival, true awakening is about repentance. How do I know that? Because in Acts 3, 19 through 20, it says this, so repent. This is the Amplified again. I love the Amplified. It just, it expounds on what the words mean. So repent, change your inner self, your old way of thinking. Regret past, regret past sins and return to God. Seek his purpose for your life. I'm going to pause there for a second. Some of you might be saying, 
Oh, I haven't walked away from God. I'm going I'm to read this again, what this says, and I want you to hear this as the Holy Spirit speaks to you. It says, so repent, change your inner self, your old way of thinking, regret past sins, and return to God, seek his purpose for your life. What if you're not seeking his purpose for your life? What if it's your purpose? That's narcissism. Is this going to bless me? And I guarantee you it's why people stay in desperation and not hunger. What am I going to get out of this? And unfortunately, I believe a lot of the responsibility falls on the church for so many years teaching people to seek comfort and to try to tempt people and do things to make it seeker sensitive so that people will come into a church and not feel anything that's uncomfortable. So they will keep coming. And then all we've done is produce narcissistic children who don't want to do anything. And if they don't like it, they go to a church that will help them feel comfortable. Just being honest. I've done it. We, I, I've been in churches that I've seen it. It's not the kingdom. Going back to this verse. So that your sins may be wiped out, blotted out, completely erased. So... It says then, so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, restoring you like a cool wind on a hot day, and that he may send to you Jesus, the Christ who's been appointed to you. This verse basically says, if you repent, you will experience refreshing. So I asked the Lord, what are some things that you're after in my heart? And he began to reveal some things to me, or reveal some things to me. And one of the things that he revealed to me, and I'm going to be very transparent, is if you're struggling with any kind of addiction, there was a meme that came out by um, Chris Ballatin's son, Jason. And he said that addiction is the result of disconnection. Addiction is the result of disconnection. And so what that means is if we don't feel like we're connecting with God or we're not connecting with people that we love or people that love us, there's been a separation, there's been something that, that's happened and we feel pain. And especially for men in this season, I don't know if men knows, know how to make a connection. I was talking to someone the other day that I noticed, especially like in worship, men don't fully know how to worship sometimes because it's a, it's a connection with God. So what men do is we connect with our brains. We'll serve, we'll build, we'll help. We don't know how to connect our hearts. And part of that is because it, it involves it involves some deep um, healing. And it, it involves being intimate. And, and some of us, as, as men, we've been hurt, and we, and we don't know how to be intimate, and we're looking for connection. So sometimes men find connection through addiction, and, and it feels like you're connecting, or you're, you're going back to what's, what's comfortable. When really the connection needs to be with God. So we're finding some kind of temporary pleasure to fill the void and the pain of disconnection that we feel. And men are wired that if there's disconnection, somehow it's your, all your fault. Now granted, we have a part to play. I've said this before that if relationships are the highest priority of heaven, right relationships, then the destruction of relationships are the highest priority of hell. What if the revival that's coming or the awakening that's coming, what if how the enemy is working is how to just disconnect people from God and from each other? 
We call that division, dissension. And what if he does it by pushing on your pain? Well, that last church really screwed you. What if they do the same? First of all, I got to tell you, every church is going to do something that's bad. I've been in it for 38 years. I could tell you stories. I could tell you things I saw in the upper levels. And I had to be at a place where I just took my eyes off of the church. And I know there's not good churches and there's good churches. But there's always sin and man in church. But I got to get my eyes off of people and on God. And once again, what if God wants me to come to church because I have an assignment because it's not about me? So, so if I'm disconnected, here's what the enemy wants to do because if it's narcissistic, it's about, well, what's going to happen to me? How am I, it's, I'm, in the, I'm in the, Jesus didn't think that way when he went to the cross. Is it going to, I mean, yeah, you sweat, he sweat blood in, 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 in the garden. And I don't think it's because he didn't want to go to the cross because he didn't love us. I think he knew all the weight of the sin would be on him. All the pain that we feel would be on him. Can you imagine all the pain of the world? That's literally what killed Jesus. Because if you study how he died, he died of a broken heart. His heart burst. Because blood and water came out. He died for your pain and my pain. Do you not think that the father has pain for the sons and daughters that are trapped out there that don't know hope? I watched the stories in the Jesus Revolution. Greg Laurie, who he is today, wasn't who he was back then. Is there other Greg Laurie's out there? I'm just using him as an example. Is there other Lonnie Frisbee's out there? Lonnie Frisbee was a man that really needed to be fathered. We, we just, around, around the loft, when people need to, and you guys see this a lot, and I, wanna, I just want to clear the table. When people are hurting and they're in pain, we let them take a break. Another thing I want to share with you, and especially when people are leaders or they're, and they're in ministry, sometimes in churches I saw the leader, like let's say Alani, who was hurting, and they just kept doing ministry, kept doing, kept doing, kept doing, kept doing ministry. And then maybe they fell or something went haywire. I saw so many churches more concerned about what the church would think that it was easier to just get rid of these two people than lose a whole body of believers, instead of helping these people heal and let the church watch and participate. Doesn't mean the church needs to know everything, because you don't tell everybody everything, but you do tell someone everything. What if we ask Holy Spirit how to do things differently? So around here, when you see people taking a break or taking a sabbatical, now I know some people have left and blah, 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 and all that happens, but we really care about the person more than what they provide or do. And it might mean sometimes that things are harder because we got to do more. But I'm going to be honest with you, things sometimes would be easier if all of God's people would participate. And if Walmarts are emptying because there's a move of God coming that's going to cause, what if you have to rent a Walmart for two months? We're going to need people like you to pray with and love people who are in a really difficult place. And they, sometimes they just need somebody to hold them. They need a mom. They need a dad. One of the things that broke my heart, all through the movie, all I saw was fatherless kids. And when the interviewer, the reporter from Time Magazine is talking to Greg Laurie, I think he asks, is this your family? And he says, I don't know what a family is. So I don't want to be in the way of that. So if narcissism is basically someone who exhibits little or no empathy towards others, so if the enemy is like causing division and causing us to not connect, really what he's saying is, I don't want you to feel empathy. Here's the definition of empathy. 
The ability to identify with or understand another's situation. I'm just going to give you a couple. Um, yeah. Are you ready? I think this is the one we have the hardest time with. The capacity to understand another person's point of view or the result of such understanding. Well, they don't agree with me. I'm going to leave. Can I tell you that you're going to have people who don't agree with you? I'm dealing with people right now in same-sex situations that I don't agree with. But the Holy Spirit's like, how do you, how, how do you love them? How, how do you, like, try to understand their journey? One young man I'm, I'm ministering to on the call on Monday nights opened up. At eight years old, his mother sold him to prostitution with other men. He's now in his 20s. So from eight years old, she paid the rent by selling her son. So he has a love-hate relationship with men. That's just one story. See, empathy, another, another definition of these, understanding entering into another's feelings. I don't agree with you, but I want to know how you feel. Well, the Bible says, right? It does say. But isn't it interesting that the word of God himself, Jesus, when he walked the earth, embraced the people who were the most lost? It's like the word of God held them, kissed them, touched them, ate dinner with them. Right? Now, what I love about this family is they get that. We get it because we've done it. I hear stories. All Tiffany did was talk about how much this family loves her. Could we do better? Yes, always. Where I think we need to ask Holy Spirit is some of us still have a problem with self-leading with our opinions, our feelings, our perspectives, our views. And what if God is saying, we're in a transition so I can bring transformation and you gotta trust me. But what if you gotta trust me? You gotta trust me. Do you know why? I know Tim and Nancy have probably heard me say this and Judy nine million times. Trust equals love and love equals trust. It's so weird that the people I minister to, they're not church people, all of them. It's like they trust me. A couple of them are like, who are you? And then they open up. And I get to love on them. And you know what I'm learning to do? is not try to fix them, but let Holy Spirit speak to them. I'm seeing that happen. Um, um, just one last story, and then we're going to pray. I'm, I'm seeing this happen. I, many of you might know this story. You might not. But I met a, a, a man on TikTok who, who was a, a, a health coach. And the Lord just said, develop a relationship with him. And I did. And you know, he's got like 300,000 followers, crazy influencer on TikTok. 55. Long story short, we become good friends. I had an opportunity to lead him to the Lord, and he's still raw. He's still learning. Um, he, we, he asks questions about God. Now he's asking about scriptures. I'm shooting him scriptures. He's reading the Bible. But when I first met him, he and his girlfriend came to stay with us, and this thought plagued me. They're not married. Where are they going to sleep? It's the pastor. Now, they're pre-Christians, and I let him stay in our trailer. And the religious spirit in me is like, oh, they're sleeping together, and they're fornicating. Oh, my gosh. I was in this battle, right? And the Lord's like, no, they're on a journey towards me. Now, if we're talking about people who've been walking with the Lord for a while, we probably need to talk, Right? Because there's things that God does for our protection because he loves us, right? 
He has some, it's, I explained to someone, when we get mad at God because we don't like his rules, anybody ever play the game of Monopoly? How many of you do free parking? When you put money in the middle and when you hit free parking, you get the money out of the middle? It's not in the rules. How many of you play where you give out some of the properties before you begin the game? Some people do that. They give each person a property, and then it's like a free-for-all to get the other properties. My point is, everybody has these versions of monopoly. They're not in the rules. So God is the creator who makes the rules. And it doesn't matter if we want to do it our way. He does the things that he does because he has a purpose so that people are safe and protected and healed and whole. Right? So guess what? Through all that me just learning... Now this man that I've ministered to is wanting me to marry he and his girlfriend. I sat on the couch, my couch, for two hours and explained covenant to him. Covenant in marriage, covenant with God, covenant with believers. Now he's like on fire. He's shooting me scripture passages. And and he asked me uh, not too long ago, I think I told you guys this, Jack, somebody said I'm a believer. I thought I was a Christian. I said, you are a believer. And I explained that to him. When I went up to Seattle last week, and he wanted to know, why is Jesus the only way? And I had an opportunity to explain to him why Jesus is the only way to God. And he got it. He went, oh. I don't think he would be at this place with me by me going, Jake, you come over here right now, like the church does. I think he's at this place because I went like this. Stop. Okay. Yeah. No. Yeah. Yeah. No. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. No. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. And at one point, he was being bothered by this illness. And I pray. I said, can I pray for you? And, I, and this was one of those stopping points. He let me pray for him. And he felt Holy Spirit. And he's crying. He goes, I feel such peace. Now we're at this point where his girlfriend says, I like it when you come. Because every time you come, he's at peace. This is a live testimony of if we can learn to go here. But if your heart is leading and you're in any kind of narcissism or if there's sin in your life, and and all sin is, listen to me, I could talk and expose all kinds of sin. All sin is, is a disconnect from God. And I'm going to say something else to you, and, and maybe you don't agree with this theology. We don't sin against people. We hurt people. We can harm people. David says, against you, God, and only you have I sinned. Sin is an issue with God. And, and believe, believe you me, if there's sin, it is, we're going to hurt people. That's why God's after sin. Because when we're self-focused, people get hurt. Or worse yet, people get missed. So I want to ask you, Holy Spirit will reveal the sin. And maybe if there's a disconnect, is there something else you're connecting to? Something that you're trying to find connection with, but it's not fulfilling. It might bring temporary comfort. But if you notice some of the things that bring temporary com- comfort make you feel worse afterwards? And then the enemy just lies and brings more disconnect disconnection between you and God. And here's the problem. I believe it's this disconnect and this empathy is an issue with a lot of people, but I believe many of our men in church are disconnected. Because we're believing a lie that isn't true. Or we're living in shame and condemnation because of our failures. And Father wants his men to be free and his daughters to be free and understand that they can be connected to him. Nothing, neither height nor depth, can separate you from the love of God. All sin does is give you a wrong picture of him, yourself, and others. 
Repentance is so easy. First John 1 John 1.9 says, if I confess my sins, he's faithful and just to forgive me of my sins and cleanse me from all unrighteousness. A lot of people stop at that for James 4.7. They stop. God, forgive me of my sins because you're faithful even when I'm not. But they don't practice the second part of that. And would you please cleanse me? Even King David says, create in me a clean heart, O oh God. Renew a right spirit within me. Wash me. Pornography has so much shame in it that most men stay locked in the shame because they feel so dirty. They feel like they can't serve or they can't do what God wants them to do. Can I, can, if you're a man in here or a woman who struggles with pornography, can I tell you what the, the problem isn't the pornography? The, the problem is that, it, that pornography deadens pain temporarily. Or drugs deaden pain, or alcohol, or food. Could it be that God wants us to be healthy because he doesn't want us to be in pain? So really, whatever it is that you're going after, it's because something is hurting inside of you. And I need to make connection with God or with people. James says, confess your sins one to another that you might be, may be healed. So if you want forgiveness, repent to God. If you want healing, confess to your brothers. The problem is the church has not been a very safe place to confess to. That has to change. Because you guys, we're about to hear some stories or go into some situations that will rock your world. Because what's happening right now, and I hear it from the guys on the call, from people all over the place, they're sick of what's their sin. They're sick of it. But there's fear of coming into the church because they don't want religion. They want Jesus. Yes, there's woke churches. I was, I've even been being accused of being a woke pastor. I'm the farthest thing from a woke pastor. I would consider myself an awakened pastor. I know what I want. I know what I don't want. But I know that I'm willing to look through the poo-poo to see the baby. I'm willing to change the diaper and clean up the mess to embrace the child. I'm willing to walk the journey with people. And we have to be so careful that as a body that our hearts are in right alignment. And we think sometimes we are. Oh, I love people too. I just love people that blah, 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 blah. But I'm telling you, narcissism is me first. And, and, and sometimes I'm going to be honest with you as a church. And I told you I was going to close. I need to close. But I just got to share my heart on these things. Sometimes there are people that just don't show up when they need to be where they need to be. And that's not guilt. It's not condemnation. If God tells you to rest, if God tells you to not come, I just told you, we're, we're a church that believes that family is number one. If you need to be with family, you're, you be with family. But if you're basing whether you show up at something because you don't feel like it, there could be a problem. I don't want to give. Do you know what people do? People don't tithe when they get mad at the pastor. They get mad at the church. That's incredibly dangerous. They withhold their tithe because somehow they think it will punish the church and punish the pastor. Do you guys know a crazy thing? I don't know who tithes. I don't know who gives. I don't ever want to know. This is going to rock your world. But with all the people that many of them that were involved in our church, when they left, the tithe never changed, which told us they weren't tithing. A lot of people who did a lot of stuff in the church and got mad or whatever, they weren't giving. They weren't, see, when people give, and I know Michael taught on this, when people give and they serve, it means they're invested. If you don't, either you have a wrong view. There's only, there's only a few reasons why we don't give or why we don't serve. We either are ignorant, we don't understand, or we're in sin. It's that simple. Do you know why? Because in our house, we have rules. You're going to do the dishes. You're going to serve. My kids, guess what? They live at home and they pay rent. You're going to pay. Shell and I found out they were going to Hawaii and doing these fun things because we were charging $50 a month. And someone lovingly said, that's why they're going, right? 
My point is, if we're in a family, we're going to be fully invested. We're going to ask the Lord, not what I want to do. What do you want me to do? Oh, no, not that. I'm telling you, repentance says, I want your point of view. I want to embrace people. So I got to change. I got to do some repentance. I got to do some inventory. It's not the pastor's fault. It's not the brother that made me mad. It's not his fault. Narcissism is is another word for control. Are you in control? Does God have free reign? Are you like the man who was hiking and he fell, he was rock climbing and he fell and he grabbed a hold of the rope and he was dangling over this cliff? He was terrified. He cried out to God, God, help me! This voice speaks down from heaven. He says, God, are you there? And he hears this voice. He says, yes, I'm here. Is it really you, God? Yes, it's me. It's me. God, can you help me? Can you see I need help? I'm in a really bad situation. God says, yes, I can help you. What do I need to do? God says, I need you to do something for me. What do you need me to do? Do you trust me? Yes, I trust you. Who am I going to trust, God? I'm in a desperate situation right now. God says, you sure you trust me? Yes. I'll do anything. How many times have we said that? If you trust me, you'll do anything. I need you to let go of the rope. The very thing we're holding on to sometimes that we think is what's protecting us. Do you know what he says? There's silence. Is anybody else there? (laughs) Uh Uh-uh. Sometimes the greatest thing you can do could cause some internal shifting that create external tidal waves. So would you bow your heads with me? Thank you guys for letting me go long. I'm just going to ask you to ask the Lord if there's anything tonight you need to repent of. Just ask him. Is anything, God, I've been thinking or doing that isn't pleasing to you? Just ask him to forgive you. One last thing. How many of you want, now that you've asked the Lord to forgive you, how many of you want refreshing and you want personal revival? Would you stand? I know I do. I'm standing already, if that's you. I want it to, I want to be awakened to his presence in greater measure. And it's coming. Revival will proceed awakening, but it begins with repentance. So just hold up your hands and pray this with me. Jesus, send me personal revival by showing me who you really are and how much you really love me. I thank you that it's your kindness that leads me to repentance. So I welcome you now to invade my heart, to have the keys to unlock every door, and live in every room. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Here's your assignment. I want you, before you leave, to find somebody. They might even be standing next to you and ask them, I have personal revival now. It's not based on how you feel, okay? It's based on what the Word of God says. Everything we ask in prayer, believing we shall receive. Now, it might manifest at times, but you have it. So you're going to practice personal revival. Ask the person next to you if you can pray for them about anything. Healing. If they say, no, I'm fine. It's totally, totally cool. Say, can I hug you? And I don't want you to, to let go of them 
until Holy Spirit tells you to. And it might be a little awkward and uncomfortable, but that's okay. So either pray or give a holy hug. And if you're married, um, we are going to put a time limit on the hug. (laughs) Can't be here all night. No. All right. So ask if you can pray for somebody. If things are cool, then just ask if you can give them a, a, a hug and express the love of Jesus. I love you guys. If God reveals more things to you, stay in the mindset of repentance. Stay in the mindset of worship. Just as Tim said, it, it continues on. God bless you guys. I love you. If you were inspired by today's message, be sure to hit subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you stream your podcast. For more information about The Loft or for gathering times and locations, you can check out our website at www.theloftnw.org or find us on Facebook and Instagram. Thanks for tuning in, and we hope you'll join us again next time.